You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Hey, man. How good is God? Come on, how good is God? God is awesome. God is incredible. Why don't you have a seat real quick? Invite Mel and Janet up. Thanks, guys. Have you back in a little while. Let's put that down there. Tim, let's get this out of the way. Hey, you know, God has given us a way um, that, uh, you know, to take care of ourselves. Uh, some of that's recreation, where we just kind of have fun and we exercise and do things. The other is rest. And interesting, that's what the sabbatical was created for, was rest. Um, when I took my sabbatical, it was more, it really wasn't a sabbatical, it was recovery uh, because of just letting things go too far. It's never meant to go that far. That's why God said, do it regular on the seventh day, rest. And then he had a sabbatical in years. And so when I took my sabbatical because I needed time to recover, it really wasn't a sabbatical, it was a recovery time uh, to rebuild and everything. But sabbatical is refreshing. It's, it's kind of this thing that happens when we recreate you know, our life in him. During that time, Janet just kind of, she stepped up, she stepped in there and did all kind of things uh, in my stead, but never backed off the accelerator. And she's been going hard since, it's been nearly four years and been going hard. So we've just kind of noticed prevention is better than cure. And, uh, and we thought, let's do what the Bible says. It's time for Janet to have a sabbatical. So we're, we're here to tell you today that she's taking about six weeks out to rest and refresh and recreate. That means she'll be doing all of our gardening, all of the washing of the car. I enjoy. I, I know you enjoy that. You, you get a kick out of it, so I just I go, you, go for your life on our big block. Um, but it's good sometimes to step back from life and enjoy God and enjoy everything that He gives um, for us to enjoy. Interesting, you know, what was lost in Eden was the enjoyment of what God had created for us. Do you ever think about that? It wasn't just closeness with God. We actually lost the ability to enjoy everything that God created and said, be fruitful and multiply. The cross redeemed that. It brought back the possibility of that, but we have to deliberately step back and do that. And so Mel is going to pray for Janet as she takes six weeks out. We're going to ask you to join with us in that and also to respect that, uh, which means she's not here for ministry. She's not here to follow up people. She's not here to do pastoral care during that time. This is time for Janet and her father. And I guess I sneak in there once in a while and say and do something. Um, yeah. I just wanted to say that um, with, with our absolute amazing pastoral team staff leaders you're going to be well looked after sure absolutely and, and i will miss you but i will not miss you that much now i will but um you know as mama in the house she's just going to take a break yeah and uh and i know you'll be praying for me and um and just supporting and loving on each other and that's all i ask that you guys know and love each other and just encourage one another. Yeah, good. so it's good. So why don't you uh, just extend your hands out? You uh, want to say something church, first, Mel? Uh, I'd like you all to stand. Okay. Janet, I really feel that as a church, we're sending you to this. So make no mistake, this is an appointed time for you. And as a church family, 
we're really excited for what God is going to do in and through you. And this is a time for you as a daughter to be with your father. And that's what we're sending you to. And so as I was praying for you, I just I got a promise for you from Isaiah. It's a promise for you as a daughter of faith. That as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips and on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. And that's the promise for you. And so church, we're going to pray and we're going to send her out in this promise. So Lord Jesus, I know that you have been waiting for this time. This is an appointed time, God, and you have been waiting with great anticipation to be with your daughter. And you have said in this promise, God, through Isaiah, that your Holy Spirit will be upon her, Lord, and it will not depart from it. And Lord, you said it's a who, it's personal. This is an incredibly personal time for Janet and you. And God, I just pray that you would be speaking to her and she would just have a constant companion, Lord, a knowledge, a conscious understanding that you are with her. We declare, Lord God, that she would know that you are upon her, in Mm -hmm. her, working through her. And Lord, we pray for defining moments where she is just overcome in the awe of your glory, God, where she is strengthened from the inner part of her, God, where she comes to understand more of who you are, God. And from that place, God, we know that the words of faith and praise that you have given her will stay always on her lips and the lips of her children and all the descendants after her. And God, for the spiritual descendants in this family, on every child of this house and the many descendants that are to come after will be a result of the testimony of your glory working in Janet's life. So Lord, we release her and we send her as a daughter of you and we know that you will take care of her, you will work within her and she is going to come back full of your mighty power. Amen. Amen. She deserves that break after running hard with me for 36 years in ministry with no clear sabbatical. Let's, let's just clarify one thing. Sabbatical is not a holiday. Holidays are different. Um, you know, and sometimes you come back from holidays feeling like you need a holiday, especially if you go to see relatives, you know. Uh, somebody said to Janet the other day, oh, you got to go to America and see your family. She said, that's hard work. Not doing that. Um, Sabbatical is different. Sabbatical is, is where you deliberately do things that refresh, recreate, that build you up for a next season. So you should practice it also. That's what we're trying to kind of kick into gear with July. And we'll do it again. I almost said it the Alabama way. July. Anyway. Hey, guys. Round four. There's no doubt we're in a fight. But as Simo said earlier, it's not a fight for our salvation. It's a fight in our salvation. You're not fighting to be saved. You're fighting because you are saved. And because you're God's children, there's an opponent who's going to try to take, he's going to try to take us out, render us ineffective, and he's going to be as tricky and as sneaky and as devious as he can to try to take us out. There's no doubt about that. And Romans 8 just deliberately talks about winning in this season. It's not only the crowning chapter of the Bible, it is the highest of highs. It is the unanimous decision. You win. I mean, God declares that over you, you win. Hey, it doesn't matter who who says what about you. If God stands and says, winner, that's it. 
Full stop, exclamation point. Let's just kind of recap where we've come from over four weeks. Round one, are you sure you can win? This is where the curse of sin's been broken. You're no longer condemned to be a loser. You are free. You've got to get that in your head. Round two, check your stance. A lot of people don't know this, but fighting isn't just about how strong you are in your arms and your chest and throwing punches. Actually, the, the, the power doesn't come from your upper body. It comes from your core. It comes from your hips. And if, you, if your stance is all wrong, you're, you're not going to last long. And the same is true in our faith. If you're not standing right and standing strong, you're going to get blown over. You're going to get knocked down. But you stand in your sonship. That's your stance because of who you are. And your footwork is because the Holy Spirit is leading you. Very easy to get tripped up when you're fighting. And you need to be led. So round two is check your stance. But last week, round three, life blows. Now, here's why this isn't just a bunch of hype. Because God doesn't pretend that things, bad things uh, don't happen to good people. Listening to a testimony this morning, up early and turned on uh, TV while I'm having breakfast and listened to a testimony, young couple serving God, been to Bible college, given their heart to Jesus, given their life to serve him. First born in their early 20s, they get called to the hospital. Two days after the child is born, he is Down syndrome. And all of a sudden, they said, we don't even know anybody that has a Down syndrome child. Their world changed in that moment. Did that mean God wasn't for them? Absolutely not. This is no hype. This is reality. When people say, you Christians don't live in the real world, I beg to differ. We face the real world like everybody else. We just face it differently. And life's blows come. Listen, you're not promised a trouble-free life. People who come along and go, man, Christianity's tough. Absolutely. I tell you, it's tougher being a Christian than not. Because when you're not, you can just do what everybody else does. You, you can flow with the tide. You know, you can run with the current. But when you're a Christian, you're swimming against the tide. You know, you're not doing what everybody else does. You're not there because you want everybody else to like you. You're there because you stand for God. And that means you're not guaranteed a, a trouble-free life. But I'll tell you what you are guaranteed. You are guaranteed this, that everything will work for your good, no matter what happens. Because he has destined you to be like him. Now, the deal is this. In every fight, if you ever watch a fight... They, they talk about the championship rounds. Anybody like AFL? AFL? Yeah, I know you do, Simon. Nobody else in the house. Sydney Swans are horrible. They beat my team last night. Anyway, we won't talk about that, will we, Simon? I don't know what your team did yesterday. They talk about championship uh, quarters, don't they? The champion, you know, you're in quarter one, two, three. They'll talk about a championship quarter. Well, there are championship rounds. And round four is that round. It really, what Paul is coming to is this. You have faced the worst that the enemy can bring against you. And he can throw against you. But the result is you're still victorious. So round four is about a unanimous decision. If you know anything about fighting, there's the knockout. There's the technical knockout. There's a split decision where the judges can't decide who's right and wrong. And then there's unanimous decision. And a unanimous decision means, bang, you are overwhelmingly the winner. And that's what we're at this week. And even though you heard last week, life's blows can knock you down, knock you, you know, knock you, the breath out of you. Paul said that. He said, you know, even though I get knocked down, and even though, you know, we get beaten sometimes, we still get up because we're not knocked out. The deal is this, um, you know, 
when we get tired and our head gets fuzzy and life just hits us so much, that's when we need to hear him saying things like this. Remember where you are. Verse 1 says, interesting, this whole chapter, you are in him. You know, when, when all of a sudden you've lost, uh, like you're in the fight, you go, man, I don't even know where I'm at. Just remember you're in him. You're not alone. Secondly, he will say to you out of verse 32, remember what you have. And this is with him. You know, in verse 32, it says he has given us not only him, but everything with him. It's an interesting thing. And then you get down to verse 37, and he says, remember what you can do. And this is about through him. This, this chapter talks about in him, with him, through him. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Remember what you can do through him. I love what Morris says in his commentary. We're more than conquerors. This emphasizes the totality of the victory God gives his beloved. You're not just going to win a little skirmish here and there. You're going to win the war. You might lose a round here and there. Every fighter loses a round here and there. Unless they walk in, they're an absolute monster and they knock the person out at the beginning. Like Mike Tyson used to do. Remember Mike Tyson? You know why Mike Tyson lost too, by the way, don't you? It's not because he wasn't a good fighter anymore. They're a bit worried. They thought this guy, before he hits 30 years of age, is going to beat Rocky Marciano's record, hands down. And then all of a sudden, fight comes up, and he's knocked out by a guy that they didn't even think would have a chance. Why? He lost the plot outside the ring, not in the ring. He started losing by his lifestyle before he ever got in the fight, which is interesting. And yet, God says you are more than a conqueror. I'm not just going to help you win a little bit here and there. You're going to win. Overwhelmingly win. Not just a, yeah, two steps forward, one step backward. That's not God's plan. You go, yeah, but that's normal. It's normal, but it certainly ain't radical. And he's made you to live radical. And so I want you to see when we go through the rest of this chapter today, I want a, a prophetic mantle, a prophetic spirit to come upon us. This is about the prophetic. I actually see, I've been reading this chapter over and over in multiple versions through the weeks. And this last week from verse 31 to the end, all of a sudden it hit me. Hang on. God is actually prophetically speaking over you. He is declaring something about you. This is not just some nice verse to make you go, oh, I think I might make it. It's God actually declaring what will be and what is. And you need, to, you need to see that today because I'm telling you, there's a prophetic thing on this today. So just position yourself for that. Position yourself to hear from God today more than you usually hear in a sermon. Here we go. Let's start reading it. Verse 31. What shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? Now, what's Paul talking about? Everything I've written up to this point, from chapter 1 through to this part of chapter 8, where I talk about your standing in God, you stand absolutely secure. You are, and the big word, you are justified already. It's not going to happen. It has happened. You stand secure and made right before God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And then he says, it's not just your standing with God, but then he talks about your living with God. That's the word sanctification. You know what that means? You can live a holy life this side of heaven. Holiness isn't a heavenly concept. It's a here and now thing. And people think it's impossible. Well, if it was impossible, God wouldn't say it's possible. And he said it's possible. And he said, what are we going to say about all this wonderful stuff? And he goes on and says, well, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? 
In other words, he's not implying you don't have enemies like, oh, come on, they're not real, you don't have enemies. He's not saying that. You know what he's literally saying? He's saying there is no one, absolutely no one, that is able to stop the purpose of God for your life. He is in control. He is all-powerful. Who can be against that? Verse 32. And then he, he, he just nails it home. Since God didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? What's that say? God gave heaven's best, so why is he going to hold anything back now? He's not dangling carrots at you going, here, if you can reach that carrot, you might win this little battle. Whoops. No, 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 that's not God. He poured out heaven's best in giving his son. Why is he not going to give you everything else you need to keep living a godly life? You know, it says in 2 Peter 1.3, he gave us everything we need to live this God life. People go, oh, I can't do it. Well, that's, that's totally contrary to what God says about you. God says you can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He's not going to hold back anything else. Verse 33. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Now, I want you to know something. In this, this section of Scripture, there's these series of questions Paul asks. Now, when he asks these questions, it's not to tease you or to taunt you. or like, yeah, who can do that? Who can do that? That's not the tone of God. He's not being a smart aleck. What Paul is actually doing here is he's, he's actually not trying to cause doubt, but he's, through these questions, he's bringing assurance in the goodness of God for you. So he says this, So who dares accuse us whom God's chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. You know you can personalize this, by the way. You could start again and go, Who dares accuse me because God has chosen me to be his own? No one. For God himself has given me a right standing with himself. Who then will condemn me? No one. For Christ Jesus died for me and was raised to life for me. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading my case before the Father. So what's he saying? The only one who could ever, who has the right and the authority to accuse you or condemn you is actually for you. The only one. You go, yeah, but what about the devil? He accuses me. It comes to nothing. As a matter of fact, when the devil accuses you, you know what God does? So he comes along and goes, you know what, God, what about Simo? You know, the other day, and off he goes. And you know what God does? He just turns around and goes, yeah, what about Simo? Hey, have you considered my servant Simeon? Well, go ahead, have a go. Test him. Try him. See what happens to you in that. Isn't that what happened in Job? And that's even before Job was filled with the Spirit. How much more powerful is Simeon who is filled with the Spirit? You know, who will accuse you? Who will condemn you? The only one that has the right to tell you are guilty, you are a loser, is God himself, and he is on your side. And he doesn't do that. Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? My teacher, he was also one of my mentors, my teacher at uh, university, uh, Dr. Woodrow Crowell on Romans. Oh, oh it's the best. I could have sat in Romans for the whole degree. You know what he said? It's, he's teaching on Romans and he said, Paul is issuing a challenge to the universe. He's saying, hey, is there anything out there in the universe? Want to have a go against any one of my children? Go ahead, have a go. 
If you think you're big enough, bad enough, if you think you've got the ability or powerful enough to take out one of my kids, go ahead, see what happens to you. And he just lists one thing after another, after another, after another. Go ahead, universe. Have a go at my kids. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Did you know that uh, more people today are being persecuted and killed for Christianity than ever in history? You think it happened only in the early church? It's happening more now around the world than ever before. Has that ever stopped Christianity? No. Christianity flourishes in times like these. There's a saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Wherever they have tried to kill Christians, it just spreads even more. And so Paul says, yeah, look, universe, go ahead. Have a go. Because verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Why? None of these things. Not even death, which is the final enemy, holds power over us. Verse 38, and I am convinced. You know, that verb just expresses absoluteness. It's just, you know, there's no doubt about it. Paul sees no possible shadow of doubt. This is going to happen. But he also says it in what's called the perfect tense. The verb is in the perfect tense, which means this is permanent. This is not a whim. This is not something that comes and goes. This is a permanent state of reality because I am convinced nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. It's not about you loving Him. It's about Him loving you. Now, not that you shouldn't love Him, but the permanency of that love isn't based on your affection. It's based on His declaration. So, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons... Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us. Now, you know, when God says, this will never happen. I think I've told you before, there's two words that we have in our marriage that we're not allowed to use. They're swear words. Never and always. Like, if, if I say to Janet, you never wash the dishes right, which is not true. But if I said that, she just looks at me, she's got the right to look at me and go, never? Because saying that to another person is almost like a lie, because it's not true. It's like saying, 100% of the time, you're wrong. Well, right here, God says, 100% of the time, I'm right. Nothing can separate you from my love. It's permanent. It's fixed because it's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there it is. It's God just declaring over you again and again. And he's saying to those outside of you, come on, just, just have a go at my kids. I'm telling you, I've put my spirit within them and nothing will separate them from my power and my love. So here we are, championship round. There's a couple of keys in this passage, in these verses that give us victory in the championship round. So I'm going to go back to the boxing, fighting kind of allegory, if you don't mind. And the first one is this. Keep your emotions in check. Don't lose your cool. Anybody knows in any sport, if you want to throw your opponent off, get them mad. True? You think in some sport that the madder they are, the badder they are. It's actually not true. The madder they are, the less effective they are. It's true. It's true. Because the deal is this, anger 
is just going to cause you to lose control. Now, if you're going to watch the fight today, sorry, between the champion boxer Mayweather and the champion UFC fighter McGregor, my brother and I are kind of split on this. My brother's golden gloves. I'm more UFC. Don't look at me like that. I didn't get these scars from nothing. I try, but Janet just keeps beating me all the time. Um, my brother says, one of these UFC fighters can never take out a champion boxer. And I'm going, well, let's see. So here it is today. They're talking about the fight of the century. Where these two guys are going to fight. And, and you got the two against each other with all their different rules and things happening. But here's one thing you will see. You'll, you'll see this tactic on full display of one trying to get the other to lose control. Even before they get in the ring. They try to get the other to lose control. They taunt. They say all kind of things. Uh, they do all kind of things. Um, you know, and, uh, and you'll see what happens because if he can get the other guy to lose his cool, to lose his temper, he knows he's going to lose control and become ineffective because he starts swinging wild. He doesn't swing smart. He swings wild. There's a few of us fellas getting together this afternoon for some robust fellowship just to watch this, and I'm just interested who's for who in this, you know, kind of thing. What blood is going to fly? But the deal is this. God is talking to us in here, and he's talking about our emotions in this. He says, guys, you, you can't just get angry. You can't lose control, because Paul wrote and said, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Listen to me. Did, did, have you ever thought that through? Spirit, self? Sounds like contradictory. I, I've got self-control, but I, I get it from the Holy Spirit. But it's still me. But it's still coming from the Spirit. Because if it's just me with my determination, there's no kind of supernatural effectiveness on it. But if it's coming from the Holy Spirit, infused into self, then it's me exercising supernaturally control. So it doesn't matter who accuses, condemns, calls me all kind of names to try to get me to lose it. I've just got to keep my cool through the Spirit. And this isn't about how cool I can be. It's about how surrendered I am to the Holy Spirit. Pure and simple. And if he can't get you to lose your, lose your cool through anger, you know what the other thing an enemy will do? He'll try to intimidate you with fear and get you worried. <gasps> Maybe he is tougher. Maybe he is stronger. He'll, he'll try to in intimidate you with your inability. He will study you. You've got an enemy who studies you. And he'll try to play on any weakness you think you have. You understand that? McGregor will get up in the face of Mayweather. Mayweather has won, I think it's 49 bouts, never lost one in his life. Yet this Irishman will get up in his face and just will tell him everything he's unable to do. His inabilities. Now, I think if I was facing a guy that was world champion up till he retires and never lost a bout in his life, the last thing I want to do is get up in his face and tell him what he can't do to me. It's called intimidation. Well, you've got an enemy that does that to you. He'll try to intimidate you. He'll try to get up in your face. He'll give you the death stares. When I was... Uh, Sparring, I'd never look an opponent in the eyes. Never. Not because I was afraid, it's because I didn't want to be afraid. 
some of them are downright ugly. I mean, they are but ugly. I, you know where I would look? I'd look right through the chest. Just stare right through the chest. Not look at their face, not look at their eyes. I didn't want them to think at all. I, I really, really get ticked at the wallabies while they stand there and watch the haka. Sorry, Steve-O, but you guys should have lost last night. Earl, what's the matter with you? Bunch of Kiwis. Can't beat them, man. Is that the reason for the black hat today? Let us slow cup. I, I, I say to Janet every time she loves the haka, I go, man, I'll just turn and walk away. I just go, I'm not watching this rubbish. You know? But the Aussies think, no, we're going to show them it doesn't intimidate us. Enemy will give you that death stare, and then he'll look at you right in the face and tell you, you, you know, you're, you're just a nobody. Anybody ever tell you that? Well, I'm telling you right now. Who do you think you are? You're a nobody. What makes you think you can win this? I've been around this world a lot longer than you have. I'm a lot bigger than you. I know a lot more than you do. But I'll tell you what he doesn't know. He doesn't know your future. He can't. He's not omniscient. So, you know, I don't know if you watched the Rocky series. Loved it. I love watching the underdog kind of rise up. Love that. Um, in Rocky 3, they were in the championship round. And Rocky's trainer gets right up in his face. I mean, he's spitting on him and everything. He's talking so passionately, like I'm doing right now. And he, he says to Rocky, Rocky, all your strength, all your might, all your love. And I stopped and went, hang on, hang on. Heavyweight championship fight. You're not asking him to go out there and hug him, are you? All your love, what's that? All your love. I didn't understand that phrase. This is a championship fight. Tell him to go out there and beat the guy's brains out. Don't love him to death. What a weird thing to say. In a, but you know what? It's not the emotion that we need, but it's love. Love's the key. Listen to me. Love's the key. This is what sets us apart. Rocky wasn't fighting because he loved his opponent. Rocky was fighting because he loved life. He loved what it stood for. He loved his family. He loved his city. He loved the sport. It wasn't about his image. We don't fight because we hate the devil. Why do people even talk like that? I hate the devil. Don't worry about it. Read the end of the book. You see what happens to him. Like, Listen. The motivating issue is the power of love. It was love for us that took Jesus to the cross, not hate for the devil. It wasn't Jesus going, oh, I hate him so much. Go ahead, whip me some more. Every lash that went on his back was because of the power of love. Every time they hammered that nail through his hands and his feet, it's because of the power of love. John says in 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. The enemy's going to try to get you afraid. I hear so many Christians worried, afraid, worried, afraid. I'm so worried about tomorrow. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. It'll take care of itself. I like what Martin said. Just amazing. Martin said this. Hate can make a man a conqueror. Can fill him with furious energy. But only love can make him more than a conqueror. How good is that? 
So we're not like everybody else. Listen, we don't fight out of revenge or hate. When I was a teenager, they used to have a saying, I don't get even. No, sorry, I don't get angry, I just get even. Do you remember that old saying? We don't fight out of revenge. It's not anger that drives us. We fight because of love. So fight for your life. Fight for your family. Fight for your children. Fight for this country. But make sure you fight from the place of love. When you are praying for politicians and what's about to happen in our nation in the next couple of weeks, don't do what they do and start slurring and calling names and condemning. Fight out of love. Okay. Key. Keep your head right. Keep your emotions in check. But the other key found in this is, and this comes out of the fighting thing, listen to your corner man. He's totally for you. More than anybody else. Doesn't matter what the fans are screaming right now. There's somebody in your corner who is there until the day you are totally finished. I've got a paraphrase. This is my paraphrase. I think I'm allowed to do this. I understand the original language enough to not violate the true meaning. But it's like God is saying, if I'm for you, who would even dare to think they can defeat you? In a professional fight, not in an amateur fight. You know, if you're in an amateur fight, the times that I kind of did some fighting, I had nobody in the corner. It's like, where's the bucket spit, you know? Um, In an amateur fight, you got one person. But always in a professional fight, there are three in the corner. There's the corner man, there's the number two corner man, and then there's the cut man. Always in the... We'll see that today in the fight when we gather together. There'll be three behind them. You'll see it in the UFC. The corner man's role is uh, it's, it's kind of like a coach. He's there to inspire, to help the fighter get into the right headspace and to remind him, constantly look in his eyes, look in his face and tell him who he is. If you go to myboxingcoach.com, you're going to read an interesting thing because a lot of people think that, uh, what? What are you laughing at? It's just a good thing, myboxingcoach.com. Get into it. It's, it's a science. It's called the science of pugilism. Funny name, but that's what it is. People often think that the corner guy, the corner man, is this dumb, ignorant, no common sense kind of person who's only there to hold a bucket or wipe away the sweat. I mean, it is a grubby job, wiping sweat and blood and snot off people. It's a grubby job. But it's far more than that. This, this, in myboxingcoach.com, it says this. He must be a psychologist able to assist the fighter through the emotional minefield that is the preparation for combat. A strategist, a general able to see what what it's going to to take to secure victory and offering the kind of tactical advice that can be put into practice in the crucible of battle. He is a nutritionist, a medic, and a role model. The list goes on and on. In short, a good corner man needs to possess a range of qualities. So my question is, who's in your corner? And, And you know what? Go read through this chapter again. You know what you're going to find? Who's in your corner more than anybody else? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're in your corner. Now, I want you to listen about this. Number one, the Father. In verse 15, Paul says he just happens to be my Father, your Father. And he's God Almighty. And because he's omniscient, which means he, he knows everything, he not only knows the beginning and the end, he knows everything in between that's happening to us. And he's working it all for our good in order that we become more and more like his son. 
Then there's the Son alongside the Father. You know what he calls him in this chapter? He is our firstborn brother. And because he's omnipresent, which means he is in us and we are in him and we are never apart from him. But at the same time, he is, verse 34 says that he is in heaven with the Father, interceding, standing on our behalf in the gap when we're not strong enough to stand alone. He is standing up for us in the fight, the Son. And then there's the Spirit, number three in our corner. He's our counselor and he is omnipotent. And even when our strength fails us, he has the ability to empower us from within. And even when we don't know what to say, we're just sitting in the corner beaten and bloody and we're going, oh, we just grunt and groan because life's been beaten on us. He just stands up and he infuses us with power and he goes to the Father and says what the Father needs to hear for us. And he's constantly telling us, listen, verse 16, you are in the Father's household. You are on the winning team. And even in verse 14, when we don't know what to do and next step to take, he's going to guide us all away. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this chapter talks about, I kind of think we got a winning corner team. But the key is, are you listening? Are you listening? Because this chapter is far beyond just advice and strategy far beyond that. I believe it's actually a prophetic declaration by God himself about us, who you are, what you've been given, what you can do, and what the outcome will be. Let me say it again. Who you are. The Father is constantly talking to us about who you are. The enemy's going to talk to you too, saying, who do you think you are? The Father will talk to you about what you've been given. I have given you everything you need along with my son. You are a co-heir. What he gets, you get. What you can do. You can do all things through him. You are overwhelmingly victorious through him. There is nothing in this universe that can separate you from him. So what is the outcome? Victory. Paul says in verse 38, very strongly, for I am convinced. Same thing he said in Philippians 1, 6. I am confident that this will happen. So this is about being convinced. If God is convinced, then we ought to be convinced. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.